This is John 17, 20 through 26. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, and they also may be in us, so the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire this also, whom you have given Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you; these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that, that, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Welcome to Liberty Fairmount. <clears throat> we have started something uh, new this uh, winter. Actually, we started in the fall where we began to coordinate our home meetings. We have home meetings that meet throughout the week where people are, stay connected with one another and uh, study the Bible together and pray together and even do mission together and have fellowship together and relationship together. And one of the things we began in the fall was to start... Uh, tracking along with the same passage that we cover on Sunday in our home meetings. And this winter we're continuing on, but we're doing it a little bit differently where we're having the home meetings read a book called Relationships, A Mess Worth Making. And uh, in there, there are scriptural underpinnings that, are, uh, that go along with each chapter. And so we're going to unpack some of those underpinnings each Sunday to go along with the studies that we'll have in our meetings each week. How should our relationships look? How should our relationships look? Our relationship with God, our relationships with one another, how should they look? What purpose do our relationships serve in our lives? What purpose do they serve? What's the purpose of having relationship with God and relationship with one another? We're going to look today that God desires that our relationships with him and with one another deepen to reflect his glory to a watching world. He desires that our relationships deepen to reflect his glory to a watching world. We're going to look at three things. God desires that our relationships deepen with him. He desires that our relationships with one another deepen. And he desires that we would reflect his glory to a watching world uh, through those relationships. So the first thing we'll take a look is that God desires our relationships with him deepen. You know... One of the interesting words that's in this passage is verse 24. Jesus says, I desire. I desire. And he's talking about, throughout the passage, he talks about that they also may be in us. Jesus longs, God longs, for us to experience the same things in community with himself and with one another that he has inherent in himself as God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity. We looked at that last week. We looked at the, the nature of God is that he is one, three persons, yet one God. That he's unity and diversity. That he has a community within and of himself. That he's completely able to be vulnerable and loving and intimate within and of himself. And God longs for us. He desires for us to experience the same things, not only in our relationship with him. Jesus invites us into that there. 
but that we experience that in our relationships with one another. I, there was a time where I was, uh, a friend of mine had given me a book. It was by a sommelier who uh, was an expert in wines, and she said, look, this is the basic way to go about wines if you're a novice. You need to take, there are, uh, I think she said there were six big grapes, big paradigm grapes, uh, three in the red, three in the white, and those families of grape each taste a little different. And so the best way to do it is, you know, she was, she was making the point that bottles of wine around the world are actually a part of family culture. They're not meant to be very expensive. There's a culture of excess and expense that's grown up around wine, but it's actually just a very pleasant part of dinner and eating together as community around the world. So she made the point, don't worry about expensive wine. Get a $10 bottle of wine for each of those categories. Set them up next to one another. And take a time and taste each grape. See if you like it or not. Write down some of the characteristics. Pair it with some food. Cook some food to go along with it. She even had some recommendations for that. Well, you know, there was a time where I had a weekend alone, and I got those bottles of wine, and I made some food and, uh, to go along with each of the bottles, and the food was cooked very nicely, and the bottles were ready, and they breathed, and I was ready, and the glasses were there. Did you know that I was alone when I did that? I was alone. I didn't have anybody to share it with. And with each taste and the subtle nuances of each type of grape and paired with really well-prepared food, it fell flat. Why? You need company, right? You need somebody to share that with you. You want somebody to share that with you. Now, God has no need because he's full in and of himself, and yet it's in his nature to desire to share the loveliness that he has in and of himself with us. It's not meant to be kept just within himself. He offers that lush experience, that company, with him. He wants to draw us into that. Now, it says that God, you know, it says in verse 23, Jesus prays that the Father would love them even as you love me. And in 26, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, that I in them. God presents himself as a model for human community here. Why? Because there's no other way to base community on. We fail ourselves. It falls down ourselves. This is, and we have nothing like this in our own experience because of our brokenness. We have nothing like this. So God models, invites us into relationship, and models community, the kind of community that we should be about, himself. He invites us into fellowship with himself, because he's tri- in the Trinity, he's perfect fellowship. There's perfect unity. He's united. All of the members are united. He's one God. And yet there's perfect diversity. They're each distinct. You know, marriage is supposed to, in some ways, mirror these kinds of relationships, this kind of intimacy. And it's a problem for us. There was, a, um, there was an old device. It was a children's toy. It was called a gem tumbler. Uh, that the, the pastor who married Anne-Marie and I talked about when we were doing premarital counseling. And the gem tumbler was you take any sort of ordinary garden variety rock, you know, the roughness around the edges and the jaggedness and, and the dirt and all of that, and you put it into the gem p- tumbler with a, a solution, and you let it go around, and you let it go around, and you let it go around. And through this process of the hard edges bumping up against each other and rubbing up against each other and all of the friction... What comes out are two smooth, beautiful, polished stones. Two beautifully uh, 
crafted gems, if you will. Now, marriage is supposed to be that in the sense that in the Lord, when you come together, you have the Holy Spirit living in two people who can bless one another, who can complement one another, who can be perfectly united and perfectly diverse. Different people coming together as one. It's a similar kind of picture, is it not, of the Trinity? And yet we fail all the time. We rub up against each other. We have no model for this. We have no model, no way to uh, contemplate or compare. True human community only arises out of relationship with God. True human community only arises out of true relationship with God. Jesus welcomes his people into divine community with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So what? So that we might experience that kind of community with one another. It's not an option. When you come into relationship with God, you come into relationship with one another. This is not something that's optional. Now think about it. This takes time. He says, verse 22, that they may be one, even as we are one. There's a process there. And I was thinking about tomatoes. <clears throat> my daughter and my wife both like to eat raw tomatoes that are ripe, right from the garden. They're at their height of flavor, and they just grab them and bite into them raw, and they, they devour them, and they're great. And I like to cook sauces with tomato. I like to take a little garlic, a little olive oil, a little anchovy. The anchovy disappears. You, you don't know it's there, but it, it it does something to the tomatoes, make them more tomatoey than you would ever, ever imagine. And I like to cook that. Now, with a tomato, it has to be ripe to be enjoyed those ways, right? If it's not ripe, if it's prior to being a tomato, if it's a seed, I can't make the same sauce with the seeds. It's got to take time. It's got to grow. It's got to become what it's meant to be. And in the same way, God presents himself as a model for community, invites us into fellowship so that we would have the process of growing into that same kind of community with one another and with him. It's going to take time that they may be one even as we are one. Now look, so that's God desires our relationship with him to deepen. We need that. We need that if we're going to grow as a community. We have no other option. He's the source, he's the template, he's the model, and he invites us into that and, and asks us to shape ourselves by that. But the second point we want to cover is that God desires that our relationships with one another, with one another deepen. Not just a relationship with God. He didn't make us just to be spiritual beings that are private in nature. That our relationship stays in the corner. That it only is with him. Now there are beautiful private elements to our relationship with God, but that is not the only thing that he intends. He intends much more. God desires that our relationships with one another deepen. Jesus would not have prayed for us to move towards the cross himself. He would not have prayed this for us and moved towards the cross himself if we could manufacture this kind of community on our own. Look at the kinds of word he uses. That they may all be one. That they may become perfectly one. Now, because of sin's self-centeredness, because we're focused on ourselves, because our relationship with God doesn't deepen, because we stand back. Or some of us, uh, sometimes we refuse to just go into relationship with God, to seek him on a deeper level, right? Because of sin's self-centeredness, it cuts us off from God, it cuts us off from others. Relationship with one another deepening in and of ourselves is really hard. In fact, it's impossible without the Holy Spirit. We'll get to that in a minute. But let's consider, and and this is uh, part of what the book goes through uh, for this week for our home meetings, is that it considers some of the ways that we do tend to fail in this. There's a spectrum. 
There's sort, of, there's sort of a range of failure that we often, there are two extremes. We want to be safe on one side, and we're self-protective, and we're isolated. Or we say, I need you in order to live. And we dream for meaningful relationship. We want immersion in the relationship. And either one of those extremes is not what God created us for. It's an aberration. It will actually make you less human than more human, even though it feels like that's the thing you need, right? Let's take a look with one another, uh, these extremes with one another. We've all faced the difficulty of having relationships with flawed people in a broken world, and we've all opted to check out, to pull back, to not enter in, to withhold, to remain silent, to not be active. We keep ourselves so that we don't, we keep to ourselves so that we don't get hurt and we don't hurt anyone else. We play it safe. And yet that's not the way that God has built us for community. It's not the way that he's made us. It's not going to go well with us. We're misusing our humanity if we pull back like that. And further, you know if you're pulling back that there's something that keeps pulling you into relationship with others. There's something that keeps pulling you back. There's some great examples in the book. Why does the employee who works in isolation wonder what others are doing outside his office? He comes into the office before everyone else gets there, closes the door, stays in there all day, works, opens the door, leaves to go home, doesn't talk to anybody, remains isolated. And yet, in all of the isolation, wonders, what's going on out there? I hear laughter at the water cooler. I wonder what's happening. I wonder what the boss is saying. I wonder what. We're pulled back into it. Or why is the teenager jealous when he sees his parents pay attention to his brother and sister when he made the decision to shut them out in the first place? Or why does the person who chooses to live apart from others describe their experience, his or her experience, in terms of loneliness? So you pull back, you withdraw, and yet you say you're lonely. There's something about the way that we're made, the way God has made us, that pulls us back, that we need one another, and yet we're afraid. We stay isolated because we don't want the things to break down. How we tend towards one another in brokenness in a relationship usually happens in a range of options in a range of options. There's the frustrated relationship. The frustrated relationship is where one person moves towards isolation while the other person moves towards immersion. One dreams of being safe because they feel smothered. And the other dreams of being close and intimate because they feel rejected and they're longing for. The problem with that is that either one puts too much weight on the other. And they stem from a frustrated relationship with God. You want to move towards isolation away from God and so you hide. You know that if the gospel's true and he's given everything for you that you're not your own anymore. He can ask anything of you. Dr. Keller in New York told a story of a high price. He was talking to a high price call girl. And 
The call girl got it. She got the understanding that God had given everything for her, every single thing. He had died for her. He stood in the place for her. And yet she wouldn't come in. Why? Because she said, I know that this means he can ask anything of me. If I give myself to him, he can ask everything of me. And I'm not ready to give that up. She's withdrawn. She's hidden from God. We do the same thing. There's also the enmeshed relationship. We move toward one another, and, and it's so extreme that it's impossible to satisfy the expectations. And we're definitely putting too much weight on each other in this, uh, in this instance. Both people move towards emotion. Both dream of being close, but get easily hurt when the other doesn't meet their needs. And we have the isolated relationship. The idea is the movement towards safety precludes real relationship. Both move towards isolation. Right? Both move at the same time towards isolation. Both are very aware of the dangers of relationships and constantly opt for safety. Conversations are limited, safe, and impersonal. They tend to stay away from self-disclosure. They don't know one another. They can't know one another. Where total immersion is the option, you're trying to put the weight of your identity, who you are on the other, by being totally involved with the other. And they can't take the weight. The other person can't take it. They won't be able to hold you up in that way, especially over a long period of time. Ask anyone who's been married for over 10 years what it's like to see failure in each other. If you build your hope on another person, they will fail you at some point. They're not built to hold you up in that way. In the same way, if you try to just pull back, you're not built for that either. You know that in your life you keep getting pushed out looking for a relationship, looking for comfort, looking for the interaction that you need. How do they deepen? How then do our relationships deepen? Well, God dwells in community with his people so that we can know community with one another. The glory of the Holy Spirit, the glory of the Holy Spirit, think of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in full community together, in unbridled community together, where they are fully flourishing in relationship. They are fully diverse and fully united. At the same time, perfectly, not holding anything back. The glory of the Holy Spirit, which allowed Jesus to minister in a fallen world, is the same glory spirit given to us to minister to one another and to minister to others in the fallen world. Verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them. What does this mean, practically? One of the um, things that we're concentrating on at Liberty Fairmount, because of our distinctiveness, just being situationed in North Philly, is to, over time, build partnerships with the community. We're trying to do, we have a new partnership group that's forming. And the partnership group is responsible for, for entering into the community in different ways. There are basic levels, like, uh, you know, there are um, community development boards, and there are... Uh, neighborhood associations. And so we want to attend those kinds of things and and to just be known as a presence. Hey, we're in the community too. We care about the community too. One of the things that happened, interestingly enough, in New York City, when there was a a temporary ban on um, churches meeting in public schools, when that came up, it seemed like a shock to my old colleagues at, at Redeemer and to many of the churches around and a lot of people were up in arms about it. But we, there was a woman attending Redeemer who said, you know, I work for the mayor's office, 
If you guys had attended the neighborhood association meetings, you would have seen this coming from a mile away. You got to be involved. But we also, so we want neighborhood associations, we also know that there's a lot of good ministry, a lot of good effort going on right now in North Philly with people who are uh, grandmothers, with associations that are uh, already doing good work, with, with churches that are already doing fantastic work. And so we need to build friendships and relationships with them. I met with uh, Pastor Mark Abrams, who's a pastor of another uh, church. It's a... Um, Sorry, the, uh, the name just escaped me. Just Calvary Chapel Church. Thank Glenn. My man Glenn is on it. Mark and I sat down uh, and talked with what these kinds of friendships could look like between one another. Because you know we have people in the same neighborhood. Wouldn't it be great to get together as, as pastors and pray? Wouldn't it be great to get together as leaders and pray? Wouldn't it be great to get together as home meetings who live in these neighborhoods and know that each other's there and begin to deepen our relationships with one another? And when I talked with Mark, uh, one of the things that we felt was an immediate comfort with one another. We both commented on it. So, wow, I feel like I've known you for a long time. And we both said, it's similar, like right about the same time, that's Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. God dwells in community with his people so that we can know community with one another. The glory of the Holy Spirit, which allowed Jesus to minister in a fallen world, is the same glory spirit given to us to minister in the fallen world. Verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them. And you'll recognize that in one another. Growing, forming, shaping. So he desires that our relationship with him deepen, that our relationships with one another deepen, but he also desires that our relationship reflect his glory to a watching world. People are made in God's likeness, which means that we're made for community. We're made in God's likeness. God is community. Therefore, we're made for community. Human community was not only Christ's plan for his disciples, it was also God's plan for all people from every nation from the very beginning. Verse 24, the to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. And 25, the world does not know you. All of this coming out of Jesus' prayer, verse 21, that the world may believe. You know, back in the day of creation, Adam was created. He was to be our representative. And before sin had happened, there was a choice. Life, knowledge. And in that one decision, Adam represented us. Had he not gone towards himself and stayed relying on God, letting his relationships form from and flow from his relationship with God, he would have ushered us into the new kingdom that we're headed for. Meredith Klein pointed that out. In, one of his, in many of his writings, it's a striking thing to think about. It was good. The creation was good, but it was provisional and it was temporary. It was not yet then, even in all the full goodness of the created order, what it was meant to be. We're headed towards that, where there's full flourishing, full, full shalom, where it ends in a city of God. Nations from every tongue and tribe living together, praising God together, putting their hands to do vocational work in the new kingdom, the new city, and nothing stopping our hand. 
Right now, when we put our hands to work, it's frustrated work. There are lots of things that can go wrong. We're not meant for that kind of work. We're meant for work to work, to actually, to, to actually make a difference. But Adam failed as that representative. God calls Abraham and says, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. That many nations will be blessed through you. Israel is gathered from a small, marginalized group of people in the ancient Near Middle East, and God calls them son. And Israel's supposed to be a light, not only in their worship before God, but to and for the nations, that they might invite them in. Israel, in their time, just as we in our time, are supposed to be full of the Holy Spirit so that somebody who is searching, somebody who maybe, maybe some of you are searching, we are to be the kind of community you, and I challenge you to challenge us on this, that this is the safest place, the most healthy place the, for you to try on what Christianity actually feels like in community, for you to come into our midst and search out God here. Israel is supposed to do that, but they failed as God's son. Isaiah talks about the shroud that's covering all nations is going to be removed. There's a shroud that's covering all nations from recognizing who God is, that their need for them. The distance from God. And yet, in the gospel, Jesus was enshrined. He, was, he had a shroud wrapped around him in his death so that the shroud of people from all over the world could be taken away. This true son, this Jesus, makes a difference in our life, in the nitty-gritty, every day, that the world may believe. Are we the kind of community that reflects God's glory in our relationships, in the way that we work day in and day out, in the way that we worship privately, do, see, do people, your friends, your family, your enemies, see God reflected in you? That's part of what he's called us to. Christ's resolve confirms the commitment made by Father, Son, and Spirit before the creation of the world. In his prayer, it's not a new idea for human relationships or the church. His prayer reflects what God's design has always been, that people made in God's likeness will reflect that likeness and glory only when they live in committed community. Verse 24, before the foundation of the world, this relationship that I've had with myself, God says, I want you to have, and I want the world to see it. I want the world to see our relationship flourishing together. I want the world to see the depth of love that I've poured out on you because I've poured my love out on Jesus. And yet Jesus was treated as one who wasn't loved so that we could enter into a relationship like this. The community of Jesus, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit was ripped apart on the cross. And yet he was faithful. He rose again from the dead. He broke through the power of sin and death. He sends us his spirit so that we can have hope, that we're not left to ourselves. He's promised to complete the work that he's begun in us. He's promised to do that. And so we put, as a community, the pressure on his promises, not our own. So relationships with God are to deepen. Relationships with one another are to deepen. Relationships are to reflect God's glory. We're created for relationships in the gospel. Spend some time this week 
in your home meetings, thinking about what it will take for you to deepen in your relationship with God. One way is just to consider when you pray, what does your prayer look like? What does it look like when you pray to God? Jack Miller uh, was um, a leader. He's no longer uh, alive here. He's alive with the Lord. But he, um, he started a church from which this church grew out of. So we have a historical connection to Jack Miller. And Jack Miller used to say to pastors that he was training that he could tell the state of the gospel in their hearts by the way they, tr- they prayed. So it was a terrifying thing I've heard firsthand from pastors who were around him in that time to actually pray in front of Jack Miller. You know, he's going to see where I'm at. He's going to know what's happening on the inside. But there's truth in that. When you pray, is it easy to adore God? When you look at a passage like this this week, when you're learning from it, are you first saying, what does this teach me about who God is and what he's done for me? Let me adore those characteristics about him. Let me savor them like you might savor hard candy. You don't crunch through hard candy. You savor it. You let it melt in your mouth. What would it be like to approach God in prayer like that, to adore him? If adoration is not there for you, then you need to grow and deepen in your relationship with God, right? But we also, I would challenge us to grow in our relationship and deepen our relationship with others. In our home meetings, one of the things we're trying to focus on are these groups of three. And the idea isn't, oh, somebody hasn't approached me for a group of three. The idea is just look around and pick two other people that you're going to pray for regularly. At some point, it's going to sift out and shake out, and you'll be prayed for too. But the idea is to be a part of the solution and not the problem. So identify two people that you want to be praying for regularly and check in on them. Deepen with them. Understand what are the big three things going on in life right now. How you can take them to the Lord in prayer. Spend time in prayer for them. Intercede for them. Love them in that way. And then uh, reflecting glory. Are our home meetings, is our worship service, are any of the gatherings that we meet at a place where we would feel comfortable inviting anyone in any sort of spiritual journey along to? Or are there closed moments when we pray in our small, uh, in our home meetings, in our small groups? Are we, uh, are we using tribal language? Yes, God, Father God, Jesus, Father God, I pray, Father God, that... Have you heard people pray like that? There is a sort of a tribal Christianese that happens there, but it doesn't, it's not the normal way you would talk to people. It may be one of the things that Jack Miller was talking about. When people pray, you can see the depth of their spirituality. When I talk to you, if I talk to Dave Kinnear, and I say, Dave, and I tell him what's on my mind, and I just actually say the things on my mind. But I don't say, Dave, I've been thinking about Dave, that uh, one of the things that we should pursue together, Dave, is... You see what I'm saying? It shows a lack of relationship for me to do, enter into a relationship like that in conversation. So why should we enter into a relationship like that in conversation with the Lord in our home meetings? Why not invite people into the intimacy, into the personal relationship that we actually have? Why not demonstrate that so that we can reflect God's glory? It's the intimacy that he has, that he's given to us, that we can reflect to others. We have hope, friends. Let's go forward in hope this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful that you have given uh, us your love, which you've had within yourself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, from before the foundations of the world. 
we're grateful that we're not left to ourselves. We're not isolated and alone. And we're not, um, we're not left to the, the futile search of just putting all of our weight and our identity on the things that are good in creation but cannot hold the weight of our identity, our very being. But you can, and you do, and you have, and you will. And so we draw near to you now because you first draw near to us. We love you, we praise you, and we give our lives to you, Lord, as a reflection of those who have been loved by our faithful Savior, our Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray now. Amen.